don't even know the address. 66 Harborview Road. Hello, hello, and welcome to 66 Harborview Road, a podcast dedicated to ABC's General Hospital. I'm your host, Caitlin, and I have a couple of announcements. I will be archiving some previous weekly recaps. They will be available in the future. I'll keep you updated. However, my bonus episodes will remain available wherever you have been listening to me previously, so those aren't going away. Now for last week's recap. So Brooklyn and Chase moving into Jax's. Love the tidbit about Lois bringing Jax to Port Charles to begin with. I had no idea. I actually never knew how Jasper Jax came to Port Charles. And really, I never wondered. (laughs) I just thought he was a part of the show. Um, I did notice they kept Jax's surfboards in the back hallway and a few of his decor pieces were left. I'm excited to see how BLQ decorates. Even more excited for her and Chase to fall in love. Okay, so Dante and Finn help Brooklyn and Chase move in, and Finn leaves to go meet Elizabeth, and Dante has a chance to tell Brooklyn that he, like, forgives her for all of her past indiscretions, but when Dante asks Chase what's up, Chase goes heavy on the Brooklyn slander, and I thought he was doing that to try and keep up some sort of facade that they just had this one night stand, they're not together, they're barely friends, they're just together for Bailey, all of that. Unfortunately, Brooklyn overhears all of this and her feelings are really hurt. Sometimes I find myself yelling at the screen for these characters to just tell each other exactly what's happening. So like the BLQ I know would have definitely called him out on it. But we need tension in order to have a big payoff. And Brooklyn kicking him out day one definitely contributes to that tension. Dante does try and call out Chase by implying Chase likes her more than he's leading on. And while they're talking, Brooklyn calls him, thinking there is an intruder. She knocks the intruder over the head with a vase, and it turns out to be Cameron. (laughs) Not gonna lie, I thought it would have been so much better if it was Jerry Jacks. I am just dying for this guy to come back. So while Dante and Chase are at the gym, Sonny walks in, starts acting all tough to Chase, and Dante's over here just wondering what the heck is Sonny up to. I'm actually really happy that Dante is becoming close to Sonny in this way. They have a sordid history, and Dante is the oldest. Plus, Michael being a mama's boy right now, Sonny is going to need someone level-headed on his side. And it's been three days without Carly, and he's breaking quickly. Speaking of Carly, she's over at the Metro Court, all alone, missing Jason, and then Sam shows up. Carly has the nerve to say she doesn't know if her marriage can recover, and I am sitting here yelling at my TV, you recovered from Sam. You're staring in the face of one of the toughest things a couple can go through. Like, Carly has been with Sonny while he has had three children outside of their marriage. And Nina is the breaking point. Like, this is so ridiculous. And Carly has no friends. And that's why she was sitting in that room alone. And Sam decided she was going to be there for Carly. The whole thing was just so bizarre. And speaking of Nina being the problem, she's still thinking about her conversation with Carly when Britt walks in. And she wants Nina to try and use some sort of influence with Sonny to protect Brad. Like, ew, get out of here, Britt. Like, you're being an idiot right now. What does Britt know about anyone's marriage, number one? 
Number two, what makes her think that even if Sonny said loud and proud that he is in love with Nina, what makes Britt think that Sonny would do any favors for Brad? Just, I just, that whole scene, I didn't understand. I thought Britt was acting very out of character. But we did get Sonny and Carly together at one point, and Sonny was trying to kind of guilt her into staying, but he's desperate. And also, hearing Carly getting the girls ready for school made me miss the days when it was Michael and Morgan going to school, and Letitia was their nanny. Rest in peace, Letitia. Uh, so Carly gets a notification on her phone about Sonny's medication, and she is still barely interested. I am over this. I'm over this whole car, son business. I don't even care. <laughs> What's going to happen is either Nina is going to be with Sonny while they're separated and he's having a breakdown and Carly's going to come in and save the day or it doesn't even get that far and something's going to happen where Sonny will put Carly first and Nina will back off and then Carson will be back together. I don't see Carly and Sonny breaking up for the long haul. And I was under the impression that one of the reasons why Sonny was in Nixon Falls was because the writers wanted to break them up without breaking them up. So it was a way to separate Sonny and Carly and have them each date someone else without getting a divorce and getting married for a sixth, seventh, eighth time. So in walks Brick with an update for Sonny. We still don't get a name. That was annoying. Brick was trying to be a friend to Sonny, and Sonny pulled the typical breakdown behavior and said he's paying Brick to be an employee. I have seen this behavior before from Sonny when he talks to Jason, when he was talking to Bernie or Benny, whoever the accountant guy was, um, Sonny and Rick. At some point, Sonny will say to you that you are just an employee when he's about to have a breakdown. Then we had Carly meeting with Diane, and that annoyed me too. Like, stop talking divorce at every speed bump. It's just, Monday's episode was just very annoying to me the whole <laughs> the whole day. I wrote on the top of my notes, annoying episode. <laughs> Don't care for it. <laughs> and the last thing that I want to touch on about this whole Carly and Sunny drama is Luke's memorial. Sunny is really trying to be there for Carly, and she's not being nice about it. What she didn't see was Sonny out loud saying in front of other people, can't disappoint Carly, not ever. Like he was being so extra about that. And Carly's making the situation worse. Like I understand that you're mad that your husband kind of still loves another woman, but you still love Jason. And that runs way deeper than anything Nina and Sonny could have. If Jason was still alive, still on the show, I'm sure we would have seen some almost kisses by now. Even Bobby was like, work it out with Sunny. <laughs> what are you doing? She's sick of it too. <laughs> All right, so from here, I'm going to work a little bit backwards. So starting with Luke's memorial. So we have Robert Scorpio, Scott Baldwin, Sonny Corinthos, and Victor Cassidine all congregating in Charlie's. Side note here, um, Phyllis is so much more than a background character, so can we not just have her screaming at grown men to stop acting up? I was even surprised she let Victor have a drink after that. Dante was also present for most of this. 
I feel for Dante right now, like I was saying earlier. He wants to be there for Sonny. He wants to help him, but Sonny's not himself, and he's not ready for help. So we have all these veteran characters describing their hatred for one another, and to me, that's what a soap is all about. When Scott walks in there and he's saying, I don't know who I hate more, Luke or Sonny, I mean, it was, it was just magic for me. And with the addition of Victor calling Scott an ambulance chaser, even Robert was like, geez Louise guys, like I'm the law, can we not do this in front of me? <laughs> and I just, I absolutely adore Charles Shaughnessy as Victor Cassidyne, and I hope Victor stays in Port Charles for years. And flash over to listening to Bobby talk about Luke. It was so sweet. But what was not as sweet was hearing that Lucas is too busy working and he's not quite over losing Wiley. We barely got to see Lucas grieve because after it all came out, it was all about Brad. Brad's part in it. Brad going to jail. Like, we didn't get to see any part of Lucas. Then he was recast for like a week or something, a couple of days. Then we never saw him again. So I don't think it was even fair for them to even say that. They should have just said Lucas was busy or Lucas was working and just ended it there. So we make our way to the Haunted Star and we see Curtis showing up for Laura. Kevin couldn't be there. I was upset with that. And I figured that then we'd get a cutaway scene to maybe something between Ryan and Esme, but we didn't, so whatever. (laughs) We had a huge picture of Tony Geary, and a, a good picture of him for that matter. I was curious if ABC has to pay Tony Geary for that picture, like to use it on screen. And if they do have to pay him, have they opened like a payroll for Luke? Makes me wonder. Some other things I was wondering was Nick and Ava walking in and Ava having a snake on her belt. I had a flashback to Cyrus's warning about snakes in the garden. So anytime I see a snake on the screen or if I get a reference to a snake, I'm going to pay attention. And are we all good with Lucky and Ethan's excuses? Because I'm not. Not even a recording of one of their voices. We had Ethan on not long ago. I know the actor's doing other things, but I just thought we were really missing these characters. Spencer lets us know that Esme was at Spring Ridge, and that's why I thought we were going to get a cutaway scene, but we didn't, so that's just what that is. (laughs) Victor has the nerve to show up, and he mentions Luke's enemies, and Laura just kicks him out right away. He's reluctant at first, but then Spencer hits him with, well, Uncle Victor, a gentleman shouldn't stay when asked to leave. And Victor's all about being prim and proper and having manners and how he presents himself to society. So he left. Tracy and Alexis were out on the Haunted Star's balcony and Tracy did have an urn in her hand and she said it was Luke. But all I saw was there's nobody. (laughs) Then we had a quick break in and a flash drive and a television arrived. So I knew that that was going to be the Helena bomb. So they put it in, and it is Helena. She comes up on screen. And honestly, Constance Towers, for being in her 90s, she looked great. I was looking straight at Nicholas, but mm, no comment. Uh, But she did confirm if you are watching this tape, that means that I have gone first, then Luke, and I always told Luke I would have the last word. And I thought that was perfect. I was disappointed that Laura pulled the plug before the full message was played. I wanted to hear the rest. It looked like a couple other people kind of wanted to know too. 
And Tracy seemed like she was about to give Lara the ice princess, and Spencer was just hypnotized, full-on tranced by it. I mean, the way he was even speaking changed when he thought he was going to be able to see it or hold it or anything. And Laura's like, you know, it's not even worth it. I've spent plenty of my life over this diamond. We're over it. And Scott ends up not going to the memorial. And instead, he stays on the docks where he's yelling to the sky to Luke and how he's still standing. And then the ashes that Tracy dumps <laughs> go into Scott's face. I was laughing so hard. I thought it was the perfect ending to Scott and Luke's relationship, should this be the end. And as Lara's trying to leave the haunted star, a woman shows up. I didn't know who to expect. For a split second, I was like, oh, did Holly escape? <laughs> but it was Jennifer Smith, an old girlfriend of Luke's and daughter of Frank Smith, infamous mobster who Luke and Sonny did business with back in the day. She's been played by multiple actresses, including Sally Struthers. So I think something cool is about to happen. I expect a really big payoff from this story. And I also expect to hear the rest of Helena's video message because I'm sure there are clues to something in there. For instance, where is Holly? <laughs> and why hasn't Robert mentioned it in a long time? So earlier in the week, we had some action at the Savoy. Not too shocked to see drugs going around the club, but glad to see Curtis isn't having any of it. Kicks him out. Drew shows up, and they're back to being best friends. I dig it. Uh, but Drew wants Curtis to give Marshall the benefit of the doubt. Drew is really pushing the witness protection angle with Marshall, and I am not buying that. I think something more sinister is going on with Marshall. I do not trust him at all. Meanwhile, Marshall is out with Epiphany, and he's trying to find out why she didn't become a doctor. And I really wanted him to stay out of her business. <laughs> <laughs> because who are you to question Epiphany and the choices that she's made? But she did express that at one point she did think about it. At the same time, Liz and Finn show up at the same restaurant for their date. And then it looked like Marshall had some kind of heart attack or something. I don't think we really got a straight answer for that. Curtis arrived at the hospital thanking everyone for their quick response, but the doctor just swept it under the rug, Marshall sweeping it under the rug, and Epiphany questions the doctor. He gets in her face about it, so I figure, well, maybe this is the starting point for Epiphany taking some night classes or something to become an MD at GH. I mean, she is the best nurse they have. She's the one everybody calls when something huge is going on. And Curtis had a good point when he was yelling at Marshall, like, hey, man, if you have a condition that's hereditary, like, I should know about it. So what do we think? Is it is Marshall still in the mob? It, does he have a deal with this doctor that he can just keep getting drugs? Because addiction can run in families as well. And we know that Curtis had a drug problem in the past. So maybe his dad does, too. And a couple of side notes here, Finn telling Liz he hopes that her future has him in it. Um, Finn, your daughter is blood related to Liz. So yes, your future and her future, you will be seeing each other. <laughs> like, what is he talking about? <laughs> but Liz did give us some background on Jeff Weber and why Liz is estranged from him. And I suppose her mom is alive and with Jeff too. Uh, she just kind of said they... They had to go and they told me to come here, stay with my gram, and I did, and I was mad at them. And you know, it fits. It does fit with the storyline when she first came to town. 
also in the dating scene is Terry. Portia signs her up for an online dating app. And for a split second, I thought she was messaging Brando, but it turns out he was texting Sasha. Sasha was in yoga class where Gladys was bothering her. She almost left, but she ended up coming back in. Uh, Maxie and Felicia were also in the yoga class, but Maxie had enough of Felicia questioning her, and she almost left. But after a really cute moment with her and Sasha, they both decided to go back to the yoga class and finish it. Brando is texting Sasha because he he wants to be around her. He wants to grieve with her and and they're grieving in two different ways. Brando wants them to be a mess together where Sasha wants to stay active and stay busy. So Brando ends up talking to TJ about all this and TJ gives him some good perspective. I'm glad that they were able to rebuild their friendship. And we got TJ saying, Dr. Collins is no slouch. Indeed, he is not except for the part where he tried to help Ryan the first time around. But we're just going to say that's an honest mistake. (laughs) So we also got a little piece of Laura and Curtis this week talking about Jordan, which I found interesting. Laura is saying that she's still keeping in contact. She also gives Curtis a different perspective with if this is true about Marshall, meaning If you want to believe he was in witness protection, great, but just remember that there is a big if there. And I agree, more people should be questioning Marshall. I'm curious, like, who was this mobster he was working with? Give us a name. Maybe it was Frank Smith, and that's why Jennifer Smith is here now. She's got, you know, loose ends with Luke, and she's got loose ends with Marshall. Who knows? Also at the hospital this week was Felicia, and she was looking for Austin, and then Maxie ends up coming up right behind them, like, stop talking about me, and now they all have to go to Pawtuck. Again, I don't know why Maxie won't tell Felicia what's going on, but it's all out of hand now. In addition, we get a scene with Peter and Finn, and Peter tries to throw the staircase incident in Finn's face, but Finn doesn't care, and that was great. Martin walks in and tells Peter to keep quiet if he wants to beat the murder charge against Franco, which we'll get into later how that might be possible. Then Finn ends up telling Chase about the staircase incident. Like, Chase is a cop. Why would you tell him? I mean, I know he's off duty right now, but still. Seems the only cop working right now is Dante. And he had to deliver the bad news that Franco's studio was set on fire. So Cameron is super upset because this is what could free Peter. If there's any evidence in there and it all burns to dust, I mean, then there's nothing to charge Peter with. And speaking of Cameron, so earlier I was saying how Brooklyn thought she heard an intruder and it turned out to be Cameron. I was confused as to why he would be lurking around there until I saw Jocelyn. Then I put it all together. Man, they are really trying to find a spot to be intimate and they are not having any luck. So until the cabin where I know something big is going to go down, these writers better not let me down with this whole cabin getaway because I am expecting big things. I'm expecting someone to get hurt, someone to go missing, and one couple that went up there as a couple to possibly not come back as a couple. So a lot could happen on that cabin trip. So who is behind Burning Franco's studio? Is it someone working for Peter? Is it Jake? 
I don't know why I would assume it's a 15-year-old boy, but if he's angry about losing his dad, angry about losing his stepdad, and then angry his mom is dating again, maybe he's acting out. And the last few things I have to talk about here is Drew and Michael discussing ELQ. Drew wants in, and he wants to do his own thing with ELQ, and I think that's awesome. But Michael, can we not? (laughs) This whole not all nice guys finish last, look at me, like, shut up, Michael. (laughs) Like, now you want Drew to compete for Sam against Dante? Like, what is happening? And stop talking smack on Sonny. I'm tired of you going back and forth about him when it's convenient for you. I feel like these guys are taking some steps back emotionally, and I don't like it. Included in all of that is Valentin. He is not backing down on Revenge Against Brooklyn, and now Anna has heard it firsthand. I think she's going to bounce. She does not stick around for this kind of thing. And Val claims he's working with Laura against Victor, but I don't know, man. Valentin has been rewritten once and can be rewritten again. His dad is here. He's angry. Could he turn into the one Cassidine that all the rest fear? Cyrus's warning again pops up in my head, someone within the family, so just add him to the suspect list. (laughs) But is Victor willing to work with Peter again? Like, are they still in cahoots? I don't know. I'm unclear on that. Maxie ended up at the new BLQ house and they begin to realize that Peter could wiggle free of these charges. Maxie starts freaking out. Then Ned shows up to pester Brooklyn about what Tracy knows about Bailey Louise. I mean, BLQ cannot catch a break from Ned at this point. He is so far up in her business. I I guess you have to be to be part of the Quartermains. You just have to let your family in that way. But I mean, Tracy is going to leave town before Ned can question her. And again, this secret has already unraveled. And now that I think about it, if Peter disappears, Maxie will never have her kid in custody. Like, Bailey Louise will continue to remain Bailey Louise if Peter disappears and not put in prison or confirmed dead. And that is a crazy secret to blow up years later if it got that far. So the last thing in my notes here is Alexis. She wants everyone to accept Harmony as a friend, but Sean is suspicious. And I agree. Make a new friend, Alexis. This is dumb. (laughs) Also, can we not talk about Christina without showing her? Like, please. I would love to see Christina interact with Harmony right now. I think that would be a really good conversation. But besides the misuse of Christina, we do have some good things going on in GH right now. The Cassidines, that whole snake in the garden thing, it's like a like a soft whodunit. Like no one's done anything yet, but someone is waiting to strike. Now, Victor is the brother of Mikos and agreed to help freeze Port Charles and the world 40 some years ago with the assistance of the Ice Princess Diamond. Tracy alluded to having the Ice Princess in her possession to give to Lara. Spencer was put into a trance over that diamond without ever even seeing it. Esme is currently entranced with Ryan Chamberlain. And Ava is kind of misusing Spencer's trust fund, and she walked into that funeral with a snake on her belt. So this rose garden is definitely grown a few thorns. And as far as the Quartermains, I would love to see Drew fight for ELQ, then go up against Ned, because Alan and Tracy were always going head-to-head, and I think that would be such a great callback. 
I think we're, we're due for a big corporate storyline. Hopefully I'll catch it all down at 66 Harborview Road. Look out for me on Twitter at 66 underscore view, Instagram at 66 Harborview Road, and TikTok at 66 underscore Harborview Road. From the Quartermain Foyer, I bid you a good week.